0: You've been cordially invited, as I'm the god around these parts, for a story for us to delight in and a recipe for you to part. Welcome, one and all, again to my humble abode, my house on the edge, marked just down the road. Florence, don't keep me waiting. I've seen every possibility, and you know, all of them you're making out with your wife. Oh wait, am I recording? Shh. Ah, so you've returned to my humble abode, or have you? These recordings are for the future, so I wouldn't know. But regardless, I'm always glad to have company. I'd ask if you're enjoying the story so far, and can only assume that y- if you've returned that you are. But this is a one-way street in communication, as you know. So settle down if you can, and tuck into your newfound abundance of chocolate ginger snaps, as the time is nigh for continuation. The summer breeze is sweeping through right about now, and I cannot help but feel the heat. Well, air conditioning is common enough in my reality. They're solar-powered units that aren't quite powerful enough to keep the dreadful heat of 36 degrees C at bay. Rather than wilt with my plants, so I've decided... On passing the time in the cool shadows of my kitchen waiting for an old friend to stop by from the looks of things they're certain to be late but no matter i have you to entertain instead last time we spoke i began to bring elliot's story to life they had lost everything and found hope when they met mads addison a famed legendary assassin as it turns out mads is far kinder than expected and greets elliot into his home with open arms and a steaming kettle after a conversation over tea, Elliot asks that Mads kill them, as they cannot handle the pain of losing their parents. This request is outright rejected. Rather than die at his hands as they had planned, Elliot is spared and offered new life training under Mads to be his assistant. They accept the offer with nothing left to lose, excited to start over with someone that cares. We start up again with our first training session, in The Ways of Hospitality, a great tool for hiding in plain sight. All caught up? Excellent. Now let's dive in once again to the assassin's assistant. Elliot's point of view, one week later. Training in the ways of an assassin seems to be clear-cut when you watch movies depicting it or play video games centered around it. You think you'll learn how to do sneak attacks, silent takedowns, or how to kill a man with a trout. Unfortunately for me, reality is often disappointing, so I get to learn more about the service industry instead. Yay! Hospitality isn't terrible, when you're the one being served, of course but being submitted to its rules and learning how to use them to the best of your ability to make people trust you, not my best idea of a Sunday morning. Mads, however, didn't seem to mind. Elliot, our first lesson in hospitality is being a good host. None of that class is garbage, but more so treating people with respect and kindness while setting up proper boundaries as their guests in your home. Alright, that sounds manageable. Perfect. Now, let's begin by pretending that I am a guest and you are a host. I'll sit here, he gestured to the tea table before taking a seat, and it's up to you to engage in polite conversation as I give you pointers on how to avoid your guests from taking advantage of you and asking impolite questions. Everyone has different needs, but no matter what, crossing certain lines when told not to is utterly disrespectful. Ready? Ready? This wasn't what I was expecting today, but sure, I'm ready. Great! I'll get into character. Remember, any response is fine. Don't feel pressured to appease anyone. I will stop when you tell me to, or if I feel you no longer wish to continue. And lastly, none of this matters. In the context of it being an exercise, say whatever you wish. This seems a bit elaborate for a brief learning exercise. Like, I'll do it? I thought we might do something smaller. Like bake a cake and hand it off to a neighbor. Offer to mow a lawn. Give toys to the kids in the hospital upstairs. Help someone cross the street. You know, normal, polite stuff. Not role-playing a weird dinner party scene and learning about setting boundaries at seven in the morning. Be upfront with me. Is there a deeper implication behind this? Mads' cheeks flushed red, taken aback by my questioning. I guess I hit a nail on the head since he didn't hesitate explaining himself. Not subtle, aren't I? Very well, Elliot, you're right. I was trying to keep this under wraps and prepare you for the situation in advance without being weird about it, but I failed in that aspect. In two weeks from now, there will be a dinner party I've been invited to. A couple has hired me to kill their teenager. when wouldn't specify pronouns, so they may collect their life insurance policy. That's... Wow. That's more than I was expecting. You're not actually going to go through with that, right? Never. It's a rescue mission. I'll need you to wait on a ladder by the kitchen window. When I give my signal, which we'll be going over shortly, you'll catch them as I shove them out. There'll be bushes you two can hide in as those who hired me look out the window and inspect the work. Once that's over, I promise them that I'll take care of the body, leave, and the three of us walk off toward home. That sounds feasible and you certainly know what you're doing since you've been at it for a while. But what happens if this even goes slightly off plan? Then we improvise. Which reminds me, the next skill you'll be learning is improvisation if you don't have it already. But rather than yes ending me, it's all about hypotheticals. If you have any level of anxiety, this should be fairly easy to learn. I'm way ahead of you on that one. So we have plans A through Z, an escape route and you were paid in advance. What could possibly go wrong? Good God, I despise that question, Bubs. I mean Elliot. It invites in nothing but negativity and Murphy's Law. Ugh. But since you asked, there's one massive problem. It could possibly undo everything and may get either me or you or the both of us killed. Are you purposely trying to give me more anxiety? What? No! Then spill the beans already, Mads. Alright. The father of the teenager I was hired to kill is my ex-boyfriend, Randall Quinn. He's repressed as hell, manipulative, and the chief of police. He's more than aware of what I am and what I do, but keeps it under wraps as I have more than enough evidence of his own wrongdoings to destroy him. That and many, many knives. But that is besides the point. If he finds out that I didn't actually kill his child as he asked... He'll kill you instead, then me, then his kid, right? Unfortunately, yes. Then he won't ever find out. How? I'll intervene. I'd love to know how you plan on doing that. <laughs> we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. For now, we lead with the idea that the plan and its A3Z alternatives are going to work out. If they don't, we improvise. He won't find out unless he demands evidence of death. Mads turned sly-eyes toward Mez Bones, the skeleton model living on a chair in the lab. Elliot, I think you may have given me an idea. We'll need to stop at Walgreens first, however. Oh, the one in town? The one that someone vandalized to spell Walpines? Specifically that Walgreens? Yes, that's the only one. You look nervous, what's wrong? Oh, not much. It's just that I might possibly... Be banned for life from entering that store? Mads' eyes narrowed in my direction. Do I even want to know why? Ha, no. That's a story for another time. (sighs) All right. Well, it's still nice to get out of the house. I'll set a reminder for eleven o'clock for us to leave. That afternoon. As I stood outside the lightly vandalized pharmacy, keeping to the shadows so as to not be noticed by anyone that worked there, I couldn't help but look over, reminiscent of my old handiwork. The sign had been scrubbed over the last year, but it could very easily be read as walpeens. My best friend Marissa snuck up to my window one night and handed me a can of spray paint. I had no idea where she got it, but followed her out when she asked if I wanted to. Nearly two in the morning, and at the beginning of spring in Vermont, it was barely warm enough to go out with a jacket, let alone in pajamas. But I went out anyway, because she would do the same for me in a heartbeat. And considering the bruises on her arms that were visible in the street lamp's glow, she needed some time out of the house. Our target that night was the local Walgreens, known for its weird shag carpeting that was way too sticky in the summer and generally uninterested staff. They only ever had one security guard walking the grounds at night since it was a small town, but she'd often doze off near the back and sleep through her shift. This made the pharmacy a particularly keen target for us. Sneaking around some bushes and making sure the coast was clear, we dove for the front entrance, a small step ladder that led to the roofs jutting out slightly. Dragging it away as quietly as possible, we made our way to the roof, spraying the lenses of any security cameras that might record us in black paint. "'So what now?' I asked, not quite sure what to write, shivering against the early morning chill. "'Honestly, I don't know either. "'Mr. Shitstein swiped these cans yesterday, so I just sort of took him without a game plan. "'Won't doing this get you in trouble? He'll know it was.' She cut me off. "'Yeah, and I don't really care anymore. "'So what if he finds out? It's not like he could do worse than he already has. "'Mari, you can stay with us. You know my family would take you in.' "'I don't want him to target you either.' It's not fair to you. I get that. Just remember that we love you, and if anything happens, just give us a call, or if you need any of my dad's tools to defend yourself, take what you need. Thanks. Is your dad really okay with me taking his stuff? Dude, he put together an entire toolbox with your name etched into the handles of everything inside. Calls it his Daughter of Destruction box. Kinda reminds me of when your mom handed me a wedding planner a year ago for when I meet a really nice girl- Marissa started to laugh, a silent type of laugh as tears ran down her cheeks. I sat there useless, not great at comforting people, even less so when I knew she wasn't comfortable with physical touch. Then an idea struck. I think I know what to write. Mari turned her attention to me, wiping her eyes. Yeah? What? I leaned over on the sign, trying my best to spray what I wanted while upside down. After a few minutes, I gestured for her to follow me down the stepladder, we looked up to see that the GR of Walgreens was now merged into a lopsided pea, I couldn't help but crack a smile at how stupid it was. <laughs> Walpeens, <beams? laughs> She cackled. Her laughter loud enough to wake the night guard. He ran away that night, dodging any would-be pursuers for, by diving into the bushes and sprinting away once they had gone. Marissa stayed over at my house that night, leaving early with me as we headed off to school. When questioned by her dad about her whereabouts, she said she wanted to get a head start and go on a morning walk. In front of a crowd of students, he seemed to buy it. But later... Elliot, are you ready to go? I got everything we'll need! Mads approached me, carrying two bags filled to the brim and busting at the sides with Halloween costumes, makeup, modeling clay, and a value-sized bag of candy. He had a huge grin on his face like he just won the lottery. Yeah, I think so. Do you need help carrying all of that? He looked down at his bounty and tested the... Weight of each bag on his arms. Yes, thank you, he said sheepishly, handing me the smaller bag of the two. I looked in the bag a little closer, inspecting their contents as we walked. Hey, Mads? Yes, Elliot? I'm pretty sure if we dress the plastic skeleton in a cheap witch outfit, the guy will know we're faking this death. Oh, absolutely. That's why we're going clothing shopping next. This was just to get ready for the ultimate holiday. Respectable. What isn't respectable is the sheer amount of candy corn you've purchased. We all have our vices, I don't judge your taste in candy. We've known each other for a week. Barely. Touché. We continued on to our destination, a few leaves beginning to fall around us, blown away by a fall breeze. I didn't mind them all that much, but Mad seemed rather excited to see them. Across the street a few blocks down was an old oaken-built clothing shop. Its name was Gnarled Branch. The owners were younger folks that made their own clothing, sold donated goods and weird antiques, and had a pretty good range of factory-made garments as well. It smelled like pine sole and mothballs in there, a scent so wonderfully headache-inducing that you either ran in you got what you needed and ran out, or you didn't enter at all. Despite the fact that there were other shops to choose from, and the fact that the owners of this one refused to crack a window open, Mads insisted upon Gnarled Branch. Apparently the owners knew him personally. I kept any comments to myself and walked in with him my foot getting caught on the inner step into the shop, launching me directly into the woolen sweaters, the bag of Halloween stuff flying everywhere. It smelled indescribably bad. But if I had to paint you a picture, think about wet dogs mixed with bleach in a basement full of very active rats. The sweater display stood as I was knocked to the floor, struggling and failing to get my footing, knocking the rack behind me over. Amid my plight, I heard what sounded like someone saying, Are you all right? Glancing up as I brushed loose wool out of my eyes, I saw a young boy about 13 looking down at me and reaching a hand out to help me up. I reflexively reached up to accept, but by then he jerked his hand away, his eyes full of fear. I'm not... We're We're not... He stammered before settling on. I'm not supposed to be here. Oh. Where are you supposed to be? I asked, beginning to pull myself off the floor in a crouch, but he didn't answer. Instead, I heard a disembodied, accented voice simply say, "'What are you talking to, Jackson? "'Jerking my head around to see where this new person be hiding, "'I found myself face to face with Mads, "'who was picking up decorations behind me. "'Are you all right, Elliot? "'I looked over and found you on the floor!' "'He commented, helping me up to my feet. "'Yeah, I'll live. "'Did you see that boy?' "'I asked, flipping around to s- see if I could find him. "'Boy, it's just you, me, Cynthia, and Marcus in here. "'What if I heard the bell ring otherwise?' "'He looked around, no one else in sight except the owners by the counter.' And he was right. No one could exit this place with the bell on the door ringing to signal your escape. Still, I know what I saw. Maybe it was a ghost, or the fumes in here are really getting to my head, but I swear I saw a boy come up to me to help me up. He said some cryptic shit and disappeared. Tan skin, super curly dark brown hair, and the most intense brown eyes I've ever seen. In a town in this pale, he'd be incredibly difficult to miss. I whispered to Mr. Addison, collecting the rest of our things off the floor. I believe you, Elliot. Whatever it is, it startled you. Let's get what we need and talk about this boy at home over lunch, all right? Mads whispered back sincerely. That sounds really nice. Thanks, Mads. Anytime, Elliot. Now, we have some shopping to do. Marcus has put together a lovely little array for us to look through as he had sewn these things himself. Oh, and please pick out some things for yourself, whatever you want. I took the safe route when shopping for you a week ago, but I think it's only fair to let you choose for yourself. Are you sure? I don't know when I'd be able to pay you back. Why would I ask that of you? You owe me nothing, Elliot. I just want you to pick out what makes you happy, all right? Oh. All right. Thank you. Of course. Now, if you end up not finding anything or just don't want to stay here any longer due to the atmosphere and overwhelming smell, We can just leave with what we need. I'll be in the front. Come up when you're ready to go. And then he knocked over racks placed back to where they were supposed to be. I shuffled over the jackets and jumpers, glancing over the obviously handmade ones donated by folks, and checked over the vintage ones instead. The jackets that were left on the racks all had pins or patches attached to them, all had messages or ideals I personally wasn't fond of. They were also a majority of either denim or real leather, so I had very little in the way of options. Warpins pins on denim, warpins pins on leather, motorcycle pins,' I mumbled, until—oh. It was the most off-putting shade of green any human being could possibly create. Felt like vinyl, and came complete with a detachable off-white fake fur hood, with two long hoodie strings to tighten it running up the collar. The sleeves were long and the ends were rolled up. The elbows had clunky metal buttons that attached to nothing dangling off of them, and more of those buttons lined the way to open and close the jacket. Two breast pockets, the same army olive green as the rest of the material, looked like they belonged on camo pants more than this thing. They were fastened shut with two brown plastic buttons, the stitching loosening up on one after years of merely existing. To say I fell in love with this ice store would be an understatement. This fucker was perfect, and now it was mine. I tucked it under one arm and continued shopping around, picking out just enough pants, shoes, and shirts to bulk up my wardrobe, just enough before I had the courage to go home to face it all again and drag my dresser out of there while trying not to have a breakdown. I strode up to the counter with my new clothes in hand, placing them down and looking over to Mads for approval. He was elbow-deep in thick sweaters, gloves, hats, and secondhand jeans, a weary look behind his eyes. This was straining. Oh, hello there! Glad to see you found some garments for yourself. Would you mind helping me pick out some items from As-Bones? Sure thing. How much do you think we'll need? I said, putting my bags in on the floor. I've got a few sweaters and gloves picked out to bulk out of the skeleton, but can't find any good pants for layering, nor socks. How about these? I shoved my hands through the pile to pick out a few pairs of old denim jeans, thin from years of use. That would work, that's for certain. Thank you for your help. I am not made for this type of shopping. Thinking strategically about clothing is not my strong suit. I get that. I'm not built for furniture shopping. It's overstimulating and headache-inducing. I grimaced, thinking back on the times Mom and me go with her to pick up hardwood tables from the local furniture store. The bright lights and loud music and clash of metal from shopping carts hitting walls and each other, combined with the overwhelming smell of food and dust making it sensory hell. And apparently I couldn't say anything or else people would look at me oddly. It's in this I know I don't miss those times, only the person I was with. Found them! Mads presented me with a thick and fluffy pair of wool socks, big enough to reach up to someone's knees. Sweet. "'Is that everything?' I asked, picking up the bag from before. He nodded and gathered everything up, handing a card to Marcus, telling him to charge as he saw fit. It was at that moment I was both grateful and jealous. Grateful to be at his care, and jealous of the financial security needed to be able to just charge any amount without worry. With that, we said goodbye, gasping for air, the instant we exited the Pine Sol Mothball Hotbox. Our clothing bags were divided between the two of us to carry, Mads' house only a quarter mile south of where we stood." I slung the bags up my arms until they sat on my shoulders, leaving my hands free. I knew it was going to wreck my back in the morning, but could care less. citing instant pain relief in my fingers as the reason for why it was all worth it in the end. I looked over to Mads, walking along with his two bags, not quite struggling but not looking too pleased with the situation either. Without a word on my part, he turned out any help I might have offered, saying that he was fine and would be fine. I wonder how many people he's fed that lie to. I wonder how many times it was to himself. We continued along, enjoying the mid-autumn air. It smelled like mulled apple cider and dead leaves, our path beginning to turn a light orange as the sun began to set earlier than usual. Shadows of trees grew long against the sidewalk, and bird calls filled the air as they turned in for the night. The world was settling in, and for once I felt at ease. Mance pulled his keys out as we approached the door to the basement house, the keys themselves somewhat soundproof with thick, colorful pieces of tape on top of each one, serving as soundproofing and labeling. The top of this key was turquoise. I had caught a glance of it as he unlocked the door. In we go. What an adventure we had today, huh, Elliot? Mads said, placing his bags on the small card table by the front door. I suppose we can call it that. It's been more weird than adventurous, honestly. At least I found this. I pulled out the most beautifully ugly jacket I'd ever seen from one of the bags. Mads looked it over for a moment, examining its unfortunate button combinations and eye-watering shade of baby shit green. I personally wouldn't reach for this. But I'm glad you found something that makes you happy." He smiled at me. A real smile. It felt good to have my interest be taken seriously, even if it were just a jacket. I smiled back. Did you find anything for yourself, Mads? Or was it all for Mez Bones? All of her bones today, unfortunately. But I must say we did a great job of picking out an outfit for them. Mads held up a sweater that had the words, I am a woman, hear me roar, emblazoned on the front beneath that was a picture of sam elliot with seemingly no connection to the phrase at hand fucking weird i wasn't sure about that one either which is why i picked a plane one to go on top of it ah hey mads i just had this great idea what is it we should have just gotten a mannequin oh gods you're right elliot we do have until saturday he looks contemplative for a moment want to still dress mesbones up anyway absolutely After emptying out all the bags and putting everything away, Mad sneaking a bag of candy corn along with him to the living room after lunch, we had a game plan in mind for how to dress up Mez Bones. In his most good experiments, we had a question that needed to be answered. How many sweaters could you put on a human skeleton before it started breaking? I guess that just brings a new question up. Hey Mads, is Bones a real human skeleton? Or are they a model of a human skeleton? Your answer will determine just how disturbing this is. I said, carrying bones to the living room with my guardian in tow. A mix. A mix? Oh, you know, just a mix. Some bones are real, and others, not so much. Mes' bones started off as a real human skeleton, and as their parts began to pop off and go missing over the years, are now a mix of human and plastic. He explained, helping me settle our upsetting life companion on an armchair. Oh, so like a cyborg skeleton. I wonder if that can be done to living people. I shuddered. You know what knee and hip replacements are, right, Elliot? Nan's race and I about me, lifting a sweater over Bones' of skull and past their ribs. Yeah, of course so, I said, pulling another sweater out of the bag. We took turns covering our skeleton friend in sweaters, it was ending with a powder pink one that said thirty and very flirty in green cursive across the chest. No cracking of bones or damage occurred, but we did run out of sweaters. Mads took a seat on the couch, his open bag of candy corn quickly disappearing. He encouraged me to sit next to him, my reflection staring back at me in the blank TV screen. I took a moment to recognize, but for a mile I could have sworn it looked happy. "'Elliot, we should probably talk about what you saw earlier. You said you saw and spoke to a boy?' Mads asked, turned toward me, his expression that of a caring one. "'Yeah, he looked confused.' And told me he wasn't supposed to be there. Then I heard another voice asking who he was talking to. I think the boy's name was Jackson. Next thing I know, he's gone, and you're behind me, and it it just. It's just really weird, and it felt too real to be a hallucination. I want you to know, verily and truly, that I believe you. I know I said it earlier, but I mean it. Would you like to go looking for him after we finish with our target this Saturday? Thanks, Mads, but I don't think he was ever physically in the store. The bell never rang after he disappeared. Quite strange indeed. I don't wish to intrude on your experience, but would just like to let you know that I've had a similar one myself, he said, reaching for a piece of candy corn. Really? I wouldn't mind hearing it, honestly. Mads took a second for himself, taking a sip of water before continuing. Well, All right. This was back in my younger days, just about to turn 32. I was walking toward the edge of town on a foggy night. It's been so long I've forgotten what I was looking for, when the thick fog that had been filling the forest suddenly ceased to be and all was clear. Before me stood a deer. It was larger than other deer I had seen, with pink, purple, and blue markings all along its body, as if someone had vandalized the animal with acrylic paint. So I reached out in an attempt to help it but it began to shift into something I had never forgotten. Its mouth opened to reveal pointed canines, its eyes becoming more and more human until it was undeniable that's what they were all along. Its neck extended into human arms and the torso with tanned skin, its head moving up along with it, the head changing into a human head with long black hair that had been braided back. The colorful markings along its side were now on its forehead. The only thing that seemed to stay the same was the main body, and the ears. I couldn't help but stare in horror and astonishment as this creature then looked me in the eyes and smiled at me. Not a malicious grin, but a warm smile. I remained frozen in my tracks until it spoke. Are you lost, lovely? I think I tried saying no. But only screams came out before I ran away. No one ever believed me. Hey, Mads? Yes, Elliot, that's fucking terrifying. Oh, certainly. You know, I never did see them again. Mads said wistfully. The nut, dear. Yeah. Do, do you want to see them again? No. Yes. No, but yes. Beyond the mentally scarring transformation right in front of me, they seem pretty all right. Hmm. All right. I believe you, Mads. I fearfully believe you. Thank you, Elliot. I'm gonna add Mannequin to our shopping list for tomorrow. I'll, I'll leave you alone for now. Mad stared thoughtfully ahead a moment before seemingly snapping out of it and following me to the kitchen. We could think about the age of town and its dear tars another night. It was time to improv the rescue mission. <coughs> Thank you for joining me once again. I'm starting to grow fond of this. Especially when my evening plans get cancelled out of very foreseen circumstances. Oh, and to think he's still thinking about me after all this time. I mean, he's left offerings for me before. That's gotta be worth something. In fact, he left me a wonderful little cookbook a few years back. I'll fetch today's recipe from that and adapt it for the UPC. Oh, this sounds quite excellent. A recipe for Uzu Glazed Brown Butter Madelines. Some substitutions will be needed, considering one's place in the world in the season, but should still be rather lovely i'd serve these with tea and hot always serve Madeline hot or else the texture is utterly awful Ouzou glazed brown butter madeleines you'll need 142 grams of unsalted butter whichever butter you can find with 28 grams reserved for greasing the molds 166 grams of all-purpose flour if grinding your own use soft white wheat winter berries one teaspoon of baking powder one teaspoon of sea salt 133 grams of sugar, either beet or cane. The zest of one uzu or lemon fruit, if available. Four large eggs at room temperature. And one and a half teaspoons of vanilla extract, if available. Once again, I know that they are not very, uh, not very easy to come by at the, uh, Northern Territory Trading Post, since it's a tropical ingredient, but, uh, if you can find it, I'd say use it. As for the glaze one hundred twenty five grams of Powdered Sugar and one and a half teaspoons of Ouzu or lemon juice (adjusting to your taste). In a medium saucepan, brown one hundred fourteen grams of the butter on medium heat for five to seven minutes, or until golden with a nutty scent; pour into a small bowl and set aside. In one medium bowl sift together the flour with the baking powder and salt; in another bowl beat together the granulated sugar with a lemon or Ouzu zest until fragrant. Add the eggs and whisk until tripled in volume. You can use an electric mixer for this if you please. Add vanilla if using, then gently fold in the dry ingredients. Fold by taking your spatula and bringing the dry ingredients from the top to the bottom of the bowl with a dip and twist of your wrist. Repeat by turning your bowl 90 degrees each time until the dry ingredients are completely incorporated. Whisk about 200 grams of batter into the brown butter until fully combined before pouring that into the rest of the batter, mixing until combined. Cover and refrigerate batter for an hour. After that, brush three molds with the remaining 28 grams of butter. Each mold should produce 12 madeleines. Dust the molds with flour and refrigerate for the out for an hour alongside the batter. Do not skip refrigeration. Preheat your oven to 190 degrees Celsius. Pipe or spoon batter into the madeleine molds until they're halfway filled. Baking for 11 to 13 minutes or until golden brown, and the cakes spring back when pressed lightly. Now here's where the book and I disagree. You can take your molds and cool the cakes completely, or you can do what I do and serve them warm. Warm Madelines are a gift, while cold ones are a sadness. It's up to you. Either way, we finish them by making the glaze. In a medium bowl, whisk together the powdered sugar with the oozy juice and 15 grams of water until smooth. Pour the glaze with a spoon over warm Madelines, or dip your cold Madelines in it, staying aside on a rack for 10 minutes or until the glaze sets, only allowed to set if dipping cold Madelines. Enjoy. You know I'll always recommend these with tea. An herbal tea to offset the sweetness and brightness of the citrus. But they're also quite excellent with Earl Grey. But no matter what you do, I'll always recommend sharing them amongst friends and good company. Life is worth living when around the ones you love, and family isn't just a bond of blood. Until we meet again, I'll be waiting. I promise to revive in time. For now, I hope you enjoyed this new recipe. May there be many more within this life. Thank you for visiting My House on the Edge.